Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. Welcome. We're here today with Pamela Lowe, OD, FAAO, from Niles, Illinois. Dr. Lowe is the owner of Professional Eye Care Center, a private practice, and she's the 2018 recipient of the Thea Award for Mentorship. She's talking to us today about three pillars of success, advocacy, education, and practice management. Dr. Lowe, it's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So we're talking today about the three pillars of success, um, and and you, you've identified them for me as, as advocacy, education, and practice management. Were they all clear to you from the beginning of your career, or did you kind of realize that this is a, a three-legged stool? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question. It was not clear to me at all. In fact, as a uh, young 1988 graduate um, from ICO, I knew I had wanted to go into private practice. That was one of my goals. And the first doctor that I worked for, um, for four years, uh, had a two office practice here on the northwest side of Chicago. And I was very active in in school with um, student government at ICO, also with the American Optometric Student Association, the Illinois Optometric Student Association. So I, I knew of all those things as a student. So when I became a practitioner, you know, the, the new doctor in, in this private practice, I asked my, my senior doctor, hey, um, you know, are you involved in the AOA? <clears throat> that seems like an important part of practice. And he literally said to me, oh, you don't need to be part of that. It's a good old boys club. So this is back in 1988 and, you know, seeing good things about it as a student um, and then being a new practitioner out in the real world and having um, a valued colleague tell me that I thought, oh, okay, well, he's been out practicing for 13 years. He must know the lay of the land. So, um, so I kind of did not do anything with AOA after I was a student. And then in 1992, I actually left that practice. I was hoping to be a partner in that practice, but we had different philosophies. So I left and went out on my own. And that's when I founded my practice and quickly found that I was this little island out there uh, surrounded by a lot of forces and that I needed really to not only be an advocate in my community, but for my profession, have that link so that I would know which way to go. I needed guidance. Um, so colleagues of mine, once I was out on my own, I contacted a few doctors that were IOA, Illinois Optometric Association members, and they quickly told me, no, 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 you, you really need to be connected. Uh, we all work together as a team to advance our profession. And that's when I really got involved in the advocacy piece. Right. And was it a good old boys network when you joined? Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, back when I graduated, it was 30% women and 70% male. We know today that's totally flip-flopped and, uh, and 70% of most graduates in optometry today are female. So of course the leadership back then certainly reflected uh, that disparity. Uh, so I was usually the only woman in the room, maybe one or two others. Uh, and I actually had gotten used to that. In my college days at Loyola University here in Chicago, um, I was a math major. And in mathematics, especially back then, it was rarer to have a female um, take up that 
as their study. So when I first started with the IOA and the AOA, it wasn't surprising to me that I was sometimes one of the only women in the room, uh, but quickly learned that um, my colleagues were very open to my opinions and felt that I was a valued colleague and were very welcoming. Great. Great. And has that makeup changed within the IOA now too? Oh, yes. Now it's amazing. So um, getting started at the society level with my own new practice back in the early 90s, you know, that's where it all started. I'd go to the Chicago Northside meetings. I get to know a lot of my colleagues. Then, of course, go to our state association meetings where, where I met more colleagues. And at that time, there was only one female president and then fast forward to 2002, I became the second female president of the IOA. And uh, doctors like Dr. Scalfani, Dr. Charlotte Nielsen came after me. And um, now we've, we've had um, women moving up in the ranks and in the lines. Um, and it's really great to see. That is great to see. And, and uh, you know, obviously high time just to just not women for women's sake, but women for the representation of the of the profession. Certainly. Um, and um, do you have a chance to talk to younger ODs, those who are coming out of school, and explain to them or or share your passion for why advocacy is so important? I do. I do. So my practice is on the northwest side of Chicago here, only 13 miles away from the Illinois College of Optometry. Um, always been very close with my alma mater, um, served on the alumni council. Uh, so very tied to the students um, in an education way. We used to have students rotate through our practice and residents in contact lens and cornea section used to rotate through the practice too. So love the energy of, of uh, staying connected to the college and the students. So right now I'm part of um, a program, a mentoring program with ICO called Dine with Docs. And so what's really nice is uh, occasionally we'll have a group of students uh, come out to a local restaurant and we'll just sit and chat over dinner. Um, the last time I had done this, I, there were five second year all female students and we had a great conversation about uh, advocacy and why it's important to stay connected uh, which, which um, you know, they were just eating it up, which I loved um, because, you know, everything is, is, is so new, obviously, for them because they're only second year students and learning, the, learning all the education they need to become an optometrist. But then, you know, they worry about the forces that are out there once they graduate. You know, what's that going to look like? I have a lot of student debt. Um, where am I going to be practicing? What, what? What um, modality will I be practicing? So there's a lot of forces with, you know, they see online eye exams. Am I going to even be able to get a job? Things like that. And so it's really nice to be able to sit down with them and tell them, look, the future is very bright, even though sometimes uh, some doctors will say differently. Um, there's different social media outlets I know that I go on that are for optometrists. And sometimes things can look dark and gloomy, which these students told me. Uh, sometimes they'll be on Facebook and say, oh, these doctors are saying um, they, they didn't want, they shouldn't have chose that profession. And I say, you know what? I think the future is even brighter. I've had a great career. I'm still going strong. And I'm so excited for these students because if they get involved and if they know the importance of advocacy, uh, they're going to really do quite well. You know, that's an interesting point because um, Women in Optometry did a, a poll um, in 2017 about if 
how you would approach your career differently. And and truly a stunning number, percentage of uh, women OD respondents said that they would not choose optometry again. I thought perhaps there was some aberration in the results. So we repeated it about seven months later and essentially got the same results. What do you think, as somebody who you know is so passionate about the career and the options, what's what's driving this tension? When you look across the board at all healthcare professions or advanced professional degrees like law, um, dentistry, uh, you know, hands down, more there are more female students, and so you would think that they choose professions like that so they do have flexibility. Um, so I'm surprised to hear that because, you know, one thing I loved about optometry, I was at a crossroads when um, I graduated from Loyola University. I was applying to medical school and optometry school, and I actually happened to be married at the time. When I entered college, um, I actually was voted the least likely in high school to ever be married um, in the future because I was just so into my career and wanting to be a doctor and, you know, and, and women's lib and all those things. Um, and so, but surprisingly met um, my future husband met within months of being on campus and we were married between third and fourth year of, of undergrad. So going into prof- professional school, already being married and knowing I wanted to have a family, I actually chose optometry over medicine because of the flexibility of the profession. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and, that does seem to be one of the things that I hear from people as, as certainly an attraction. But uh, when we did our pop-up poll, we found that 46% of the respondents said that they would not choose optometry again, uh, which, which I thought was really stunning. Um, that is, that is. Sure, sure. Well, you know, th- that's interesting. Being a doctor practicing, you know, over 30 years now, you know, I, I find the complete opposite. Having raised two sons, I have a 28-year-old um, and a 23-year-old. And um, I find, I've found having my own private practice and being um, the one that drives all my um, hours of work, um, my schedule, it was an awesome thing to be able to be lunchroom mom to be field trip mom, to be room mom, because I had the flexibility of scheduling my patients when I, I, you know, when I knew I, I could be there. And when I knew I couldn't, it was easy and flexible to change my schedule. So I really find the opposite. And I I think one of the things is if, if you actually, the three pillars we're talking about today, I just feel if you actually are good at nailing down those three, then you're going to be successful. It's really hard not to be successful and 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 be more in control of your circumstances and your success in your profession. And I think you may actually have nailed it. The points that respondents specified for why their frustrations uh, are, are so high, it's often practice management related. Um, lack of time, lack of personal time, administrative hurdles, um, feeling burned out, uh, money issues. Um, and I think that that uh, comes back to certainly the, the practice management pillar. Right, 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. So for me, you know, leaving a practice where I thought I'd be a partner and and stay there for my career and then, you know, realizing that that wasn't going to work out and then kind of quickly making decision to go out on my own. I actually purchased a practice from a doctor that was retiring. And like I said, I was kind of like this little island out there. So really getting connected to uh, fellow colleagues that knew how to advocate for our profession and keep it strong, you know, was essential being part of the IOA and the AOA. Um, and and I learned a lot from those, especially the older docs that, you know, had decent practices. You know, I, they were always there to just ask and they were always willing to be helpful. That's what I find about our profession. Optometrists are like just nice people. But then really, I had a lot of forces in my early years of practice. I, I uh, built up the practice nicely the first couple of years but it was just me and, you know, trying to get more patients. I was active in the community because of my advocacy um, with um, IOA and AOA. I became kind of the authority in the community, the the eye doctor, any, anything I related, um, the, I joined local, two local chambers and they knew to call me. Um, and so that kind of blossomed into going into different schools and talking about eye care to grade school students and then going into senior meetings and talking to them about eye care. So you get, because of the advocacy piece, I got known as the authority uh, on eye care in my community. But at that time, as I was growing the practice, uh, I had, there was other forces that tried to say, you know what, Dr. Lowe, we know you have such a passion for patient care, but you know, this business side, what a hassle for doctors. We'll take over for you. You just be the doctor and we'll take over. This is back in the nineties, early two thousands. And I would sit down with these folks and they're like, you be the doctor, we'll take over the management and kind of you work for them. And it always just didn't sit right with me. You know, I knew I had worked so hard to build up my practice to give the management over to someone, another entity that especially was not a healthcare provider or an optometrist just didn't sit well for me. So I kind of backed off from those. And then when I was about 10 years out, um, Vision Source actually approached me. Dr. Pete Kehoe is our state administrator even to this day. And Pete and I knew each other a lot from IOA and AOA activities. And he sat down and Pam, there's this new group Vision Source, you know, it's, it's really going to help you know, grow your practice. And so in my mind, I had this, whoa, 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 here's another entity telling me they're going to take over the business side and I'll just be the doctor. And quite frankly, I don't enjoy the business side of what I do. To me, it's a necessary evil, but it is important, right? So, cause I'm running a small business. So sat down with Pete a few more times and real quickly realized that Vision Source was actually all about empowering me, uh, just empowering me on that business side that I wasn't as good at as the patient care side. And um, all these years later now, 17 plus years later, being a vision source doctor and now I'm a local administrator, you know, I can't say enough about the relationships I've built and how I've learned the business side that always kind of was my nemesis and and always the, that part I would put off because, you know, my passion was seeing patients. For me as an independent doctor trying to keep my practice independent, because here in Chicago, we have private equity trying to eat up practices like mine left and right. And But I want to stay independent. And um, I really feel vision source is the reason I have been able to and not only you know, survive, but thrive. So you mentioned that you, you don't love the business management part of it. You, you know, how do you um, get up the, get up the gumption to, to do these? You realize you have to, right, of course, right. that's, that's one thing, but 
you you can have to do things and not do them well. You can look at any kid's made bed and and see that, you know. Right, right. So <laughs> how do you um how do you do this well? Yeah, that's what's so great about belonging to a group like Vision Source. Seriously, we we have um so we have four meetings alone in my state. So three of those meetings are quarterly meetings. Uh, the first three quarters of the year that are local. So our Chicago land group, which is about 62 practices. So, you know, each quarter I get to sit down with the best minds of, of other ODs like me with the same struggles, trying to keep our, our staff happy, our patients happy, give great care. I get to sit in a room for six hours with them every quarter. You know, how cool is that? You know, there's, there's power in, in, uh, in numbers and working together. And, you know, one of us will have an idea and then someone else could say, oh, you don't have to recreate the wheel. I did that already. Um, so very, very powerful to be able to network with my colleagues. Then once a year, we have a statewide meeting which is awesome. So all the Illinois vision source docs get together. And now I have a, a bigger room with more minds that can give me great ideas. Um, and what's really nice about that too, is that I've developed relationships with our industry partners that I wouldn't have before because I'm exposed to them more. Each of these meetings, we have industry partners with us. So again, I can learn the best practices from my colleagues, and then I can learn, well, what are the best you know, industry partners I want to uh, work with when, and in what technologies do I want to implement? And it's all right there for me all the time. And so it makes uh, swallowing that business side of it um, much easier uh, because I have, I, I can see it done and I can see the, the folks who do it well, uh, the folks who've, who've are, you know, we all learn from our mistakes, who've, who say, Pam, you know what, I tried that way, don't go down that road. And so it's really nice. And, and then once a year, we have the exchange and now I get the brain power of our nationwide group of those 3,300 practices. And what a, what a practice management buzz when I come back from that meeting every spring. Um, it's like a huge optometry pep rally. Um, and again, I just feel so empowered to keep um, independent optometry strong and just I'm always re-energized re when I come back from that. I, I have to tell you, I'm not sure you actually dislike the business management part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been fortunate to learn from great colleagues uh, like Mick Kling and Dr. Lori Sorensen, uh, who who have nailed it. And again, how cool is that, that I can call those colleagues anytime, text them anytime I want and get an instant answer. So the uh, third pillar that we, we sort of jumped over to, to get to practice management was uh, education. And I know you, you mentioned you're near the school, but it's, it's not just physical proximity to a school. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it is nice being close to, you know, the oldest and largest optometry school around and having my colleagues there and being able to interact with students and, and a lot of sharing going on there. But really, you know, taking it to the next level, I had a passion for um, the research side, got a little bit of that when I was um, in my last couple of years at ICO, um, worked with some some doctors there that were doing some research um, and then really, um, you know, went to my first Academy of optometry as a student um, and was kind of blown away by that research academic side. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't become a fellow of the Academy of optometry until you were 
uh, if you were a private practitioner till you were out at least five years. So guess what? I graduated in 88 in 1993. The first thing I did was apply for my fellowship. And all these years later, I've been a fellow um, of the academy. Now, there, there's other uh, meetings I go to that are awesome. But I got to tell you, um, academy is my once a year uh, research academic buzz that um, is second to none. Uh, there I learned where I have connection to experts in every field um, and just really learn the importance of evidence-based optometry. You know, anything we do with our patient in the chair, you have to have good science behind it. And uh, those folks really have taught me um, how to do that the best I can. And how does that translate to to those conversations with patients in the chair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, right now I am I have a huge passion for um for macular degeneration prevention. Uh, you know, back in the early days of my practicing, you know, you'd find out someone had macular degeneration because they'd come in with poor vision and then, oh my gosh, you have all these physical changes and now it's, you know, there's not much we could do for you. So with all the new research that's gone on with AMD, it's just been amazing that I can look at all these studies. In fact, that's where I learned about uh, one of the latest um, technologies that I can pick up macular degeneration three years before the patient has one letter loss of vision or I see a structure change, I'm able to tell a patient you're at risk. And guess what? I have this test that is based with good science behind it, multiple studies. Let's run that. And if you test positive, how cool is it that we're picking it up before you have vision loss? That's never been the case. So it's super exciting to be be able to always be on top of the latest research and tell patients um, what I can do to help them before they have a problem instead of waiting for someone to have a problem and then figure out what we're going to do to help them. And that puts uh, optometry really squarely in the primary care field too. Oh, totally. It's, it's, it's what we do best. What's cool to your point about being a primary care doc is I don't just talk about your vision. Sure, that's super important and that's what we're trying to protect. But I talk about, hey, are you moving your body? Hey, are you eating well? Because that's what's going to keep your vision um, intact for years to come. And I don't think even as primary care physicians, uh, none of us were having that discussion with patients. It was all about what disease do they have and what can I do to fix it, right? And and being on the preventive side like we are in primary care, um, it's, it's just opened up a whole nother level of me engaging with my patients and practicing that I couldn't have dreamt up back in the 80s when I was in my training. That's exactly what I was thinking when you were describing this. Could could you have foreseen the way that practice, that the profession of optometry would unfold in the you know, 20, 30 years since your optometry school education? Oh, never, never. In fact, every day in my, in my, when I'm sitting down with a patient in the practice, I'll show them a scan of their retina, right? I'll show them... Um, uh, their anterior chamber angle with a high, high, uh, highly um, accurate digital image. Um, you know, I'm, I'm showing them and I can tell them um, exactly what I'm looking at. I couldn't have dreamt this back in my training. Uh, and then we all kind of have a smile about how cool it is to live in a time of advancing technology. Yeah, cool, cool for the patients and, uh, you know, cool for the people who work with you. 
Um, and obviously cool for you because you're, you're making these diagnoses earlier and having more impact. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just makes it fun. You know, we, we can, you know, obviously we're in a serious business, right? We're talking about saving people's visions and in a lot of cases, finding things that save the patient's life, but it's, it's good to always have fun. And, um, and when you could do that, it, it, you know, it's, they, they say, you know, you don't work when you're having fun. It's not work. Right. I, I just really feel uh, practicing optometry isn't work. It's just fun. I've been, uh, had good fortune of meeting so many good colleagues through the advocacy piece, IOA, AOA, um, more great colleagues through my American Academy of Optometry connections, you know, that, that um, really have been friendships that, just I know will be forever. Um, and then having the power of the practice management side, those three pillars are really made me the doctor I am today and really have made me passionate, keep my passion about our profession. And, and I'm so happy I made the choice I did. Um, and, you know, and, and one of the things I like to tell the students is, you know, if you, if you can stay passionate about it, um, it's important to leave it better than how you found it. Right. And so I've just met so many people that make our profession better. And I'm just really happy to be a part of, of, um, a piece of that, that tries to make it better. Um, and then again, it just, it just makes it enjoyable. Um, it makes it fresh and it makes it fun. All right. The scout law applied to optometry. Yes. Great. Dr. Lowe, it is such a pleasure talking to you. I could do it for hours. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.